Just a quick warning that we will be discussing gender dynamics, sexual abuse, abusive dynamics, sex work, death, exploitation, etc. If you are sensitive to any of these themes, it might be best to just sit this one out. Welcome to A Hopeless Endeavor, a Joanna Newsom podcast. This episode, we are talking about Have One On Me, the album's title track. My name is Sam. I live in Vancouver. And I'm Nikki. I live in Ithaca in upstate New York. Um, Sam, I forgot. I wanted to tell you this before, but uh, <laughs> I went to my partner today and I was like, Dave, I just need to make sure that I'm not saying something incorrectly so that it has like a dirty sounding thing to it. I was like, if if Have One On Me is both the name of the album and the song that we're talking about. I know what you're going to say. <laughs> I was like, do you pronounce that titular? And he was like, yes. And I was like, okay, because I think Sam might have been laughing at like the word tit before in it. <laughs> But like, I wanted to make sure it wasn't just me that was doing it wrong. And he was like, no, I think that's how you pronounce it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's just a great uh, an excellent word and very <laughs> applicable right now, obviously. Um, so, so far, thank you all for joining us on this hopeless endeavor. We have covered the entire album of Ease. We've done Colleen. We've done album art. And now we are on our way through Have One On Me, the album. Which I feel like is going to take us five years. So thank you for being here for it. Yeah. And thank you as always for sending in your thoughts, your suggestions and all of that. It uh, really lights up our hearts when we receive things like that. So thank you to um, everyone who has done that. Um, I think we talked a little bit about like have one on me as uh, as an album last episode, right? Mm, yeah, I think so. It's hard to remember because it's been, I think, I want to say like two weeks for us in real life since we recorded on Easy. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah, something like that. Um, I mean, one thing that I did want to ask you while we're recording, Sam, because I sort of half-heartedly asked you this before we started, but I think like, one of my favorite parts about starting new songs and not just doing part 500 of Only Skin <laughs> is that we get to talk about like just our overall impressions of certain songs like it's Mm -hmm. nice to just like sort of zoom out sometimes and yeah I just wanted to ask you about like in general have one on me like just off the top of your head not a final answer subject to revision what would you say are your like top three have one on me songs um baby birch you're gonna say I'm gonna say baby birch Mm mm-hmm uh sam's obsessed with the sad i'm gonna say baby birch and subject to revision uh in this moment i actually answered this on reddit uh a couple days ago there was a thread and i'm sure my answers are different but i would say baby birch go long and does not suffice excellent choices i (laughs) I would say (laughs) what would you say so top of my head subject to revision do not take this list too seriously I think I would say have one on me, Mm -hmm. go long, Mm. and perhaps in California. Sure. 
does not suffice. I feel like it's hurting. I'm hurting its feelings, as our friend Alicia <laughs> said. Uh, you and me, best men. No provenance, which is given King no credit. Fisher. Fucking Kingfisher. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And Baby Birch, I've left off my list, but pretty much only because you put it on your list because it needs to be somewhere there. And 81? Softest chalk. 81 okay. I love. I think 81 mm. might be my least favorite, favorite on the album. Which, listen, it's like one of my favorite albums of all time. I still think it's a fantastic song. I just don't get everyone's obsession with it. Mm. But it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. We'll get there. <laughs> On a good day, I love to. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't think that I can say that I dislike any of it. Uh, no. So really, the whole, the whole album the whole is thing. incredible, obviously. Um, yeah. But yeah, Hard I agree. always gravitate toward the ones that yank the heartstrings the most for sure. yeah okay so my unofficial project then this podcast is going to be to not convince you to include have one on me in your top three mm. but just to maybe like make the case for why it's one of the saddest songs on the album and uh, yeah and yeah. I think learning a lot more about Eliza Rosanna Gilbert, Lola Montez, uh, this last week, week and a half. Um, I don't think it's going to be a hard case to make at all. Um, <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, but what an incredible life. Yeah. What a, like, uh, a, a fantastic, super interesting, like, um, yeah, novel of a life that she led. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not surprised at all that Joanna chose to do an entire. It's this is the longest song on the album too, right? Oh, um, I don't know. That's super interesting. I think I didn't know that. Let's see. So Sam has the vinyl for uh, this album, which I super sadly don't. I mean, I don't have a fucking record player, so that I have the East vinyl is sort of baffling. But uh, she has like she's gonna be my my touchstone for all of this because she's yeah, got the, the thing in her hands song uh it's 11 wow. minutes and two seconds which doesn't surprise me at all because like reading so much about lola montez's life this last yeah. week there's a lot to say <laughs> and i found there's that like so many of the sources were conflicting um so and it's sexist kind of, oh very sexist yeah yeah um, so I wish that we had like a clearer, like an autobiography or a memoir or something um, direct from her to tell her story a little bit more clearly, especially her final years, because I yeah. found myself really longing to know like what happened when she was finished performing yeah, um, and when she had settled down and was kind of, you know, not, not doing so well at the end there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is the longest song followed closely by, I guess. In California? No, uh, yeah, Baby Birch is the next longest Oh, one. wow. But I mean, we're at 11 minutes, two seconds that have one on me, and Baby Birch is nine minutes, 30 seconds. So um, I weirdly wouldn't have guessed. Yeah, that's a yeah. that's like a significant-ish difference. Yeah. Um, back, so people who saw this particular post of mine like actually three years ago or something like that like pre in the before times uh, uh um maybe saw 
on the Facebook Joanna Newsom groups, I had this like a weird ass, like, I don't even know what to call it. Like the universe conspiring to blow my goddamn mind. I was just like, I had chosen some spot in this like real hippie, like vegan bookstore slash restaurant um, here in Ithaca um, called 10 Forward. And I just picked a spot there and I was working there all fucking day. And the only album that I had listened to just on my breaks while I was playing like Candy Crush or whatever, when I wasn't writing a paper, I was listening to Have One On Me and not just the album, but the song. And like after having sat there all day, I just like looked up sort of just thinking and I was just like looking at the shelf and like right directly next to me where I was sitting was like just this giant book. And it was like the life and something of Lola Montez. Like, and then right next to her was this like Bonnie Prince, Prince Billy, Willie, but whatever that like Will Oldham, whatever his stage name is, like the guy who he named himself after his biography was also there. Um, who's just like a shared, uh, drag city, person and like introduced Joanna to drag city but I like lost my mind about this and then obviously just stopped writing any productive papers and took the uh biography of Lola Montez and was just flipping through it and in this like very cursory flip through all sorts of fucking lines from have one on me came out there was like the I will drink to your excellent health was like in there directly so like I don't have this in front of me now, unfortunately, but I feel like so many of the things we're probably going to gloss over, like directly came from sort of sources like this, but who knows? And I wonder, you know, like I want to assume that um, Joanna herself was kind of aware of Lola Montez's story because um, she did own a house in the same county um, that she grew up in. Um, but I wonder how and when she came upon that and like how yeah. do you even go about trying to like synthesize this person's life into 11 minutes because it's probably one of the more interesting uh, interesting stories I've ever heard. There's a really cool um, and well done podcast episode um, that I listened to that is called... Uh, Scandalous History with Kirsten and Elliot. And what I especially loved about this episode on Lula Montez was that right off the bat, uh, they mentioned their love for Joanna Newsom and <laughs> um, the song specifically. Um, oh, my God. Yeah. So if you want to hear a little bit more about uh, Lula Montez's life, I would highly recommend that episode. Um, and also, I recommended this to Nikki earlier in the week, but we've been talking so much about Nabokov. Nabokov. Mm. Um, lately, there's also this incredible podcast called Lolita Podcast um, that is out of this world. Fantastic. It's um, really good, you guys. It's uh, the first episode came out November of 2020, um, and I believe uh, she wrapped it up. Uh, maybe it's still going. No, it's still going January 31st. Uh, so you haven't, if you haven't heard that and you're into learning more about. Uh, Lolita I would also highly recommend that one it's a real real good listen I love right now how you brought that up because I remember I mean 
like I remember when this album came out and this was before anybody had like you know annotated it anywhere and it was just totally obscure to me that this song was about Lola Montez like I just had no idea who that person was or like who all these different references are to because she says a fucking million different names she says Lola Montez and the Countess of Lansfield and like Gilbert Miss Gilbert exactly so you just don't get a good grasp on the fact that this is the same person wearing these different masks. Um, And I remember like way too late reading into it and being like, holy shit, it's just like directly about this person. But before, before I had had that, that uh, good fortune to come across those interpretations, I had thought it was just like a a Lolita reference in the way that she had been doing in in Emily and, you know, because of her deep love for Nabokov, like I had just assumed that. So I love that you brought Lolita, the podcast up right now. Um, But yeah, you guys go listen to it. It's really cool. It's really good. She handles it really delicately. She like has a really nuanced exploration of the different themes of it. She herself is a survival survivor of sexual abuse. So she has this, um, this perspective that I really respect, um, yeah. from which she examines the story. It's not the same as listening to some, I don't know, like white dude talk about it from this very detached view. Um, she really doesn't shy away from these hard topics and it's really good. The first review as I'm looking at it is Serial wishes it was this good (laughs) Fantastic It's super well researched So yeah if you guys need something else to listen to Lolita podcast is 10 on 10 10 on 10 Give it a go Okay so Sam, I feel like you're way better than I am at these like organized sort of like comprehensible Mm. thoughts. So for people who don't have any idea what we've been talking about for the last 16 minutes, do you want to just say a little bit about who Lola Montez is? What are the relevant parts of her story that we should be paying attention to? So I will try. Um, Mm I kind of approach the research for this song um, as being uh, kind of like a biographical depiction of her life. And I assumed that because uh, in this quietest interview from 2010, um, Joanna almost outright says that. She says, um, and I think we we said this quote in the last episode too, in the easy episode, um, just that the general themes of have one on me kind of refer to this self-sacrifice, uh, this yeah. feminine theme of self-sacrifice. And the quote is, it's the giving of yourself in those drinking terms, like pouring something a bottle. The level of the wine goes down and down, which each glass you pour out. And then Joanna herself directly mentions um, how that relates to the title track because, um, and I quote, it relates to the title track because that's sort of essentially what I saw in Lola Montez's life. Um, the constant wandering and diminishment of the self through the giving of the self, through performing, and just as the myth grew, the self shrunk. Um, and I won't spoil the ending there. Um, the way women were and the way women are in that sense is fundamental. Um, so going off of that, um, uh, Eliza Rosanna Gilbert was born in uh, February of 1821. Um, she was born in Ireland. She would move to Liverpool and then India before her third birthday. Her father was a British soldier who died 
pretty soon of cholera, um, leaving her 19-year-old mother and uh, Eliza. I read a lot about like her precociousness as a child, um, how maybe she was spoiled, like was described as wild, a mischief maker. And it immediately, because I've been listening to Lolita podcast, um, made me think about how young Lolita was portrayed in that novel and how Nabokov maybe used like that childhood fearlessness to explain away some of what happened to her. Um, And I I love to right now that you just mentioned the word wild, which I feel like applies to both Lolita Nabokov's Lolita. And then also, uh, um, Sorry, I just got distracted with my pronunciation of Nabokov. The mm-hmm. the podcaster was like, mm-hmm. you're a dick if you correct someone's pronunciation, but it's Nabokov. Yeah. Uh, anyways, but um, I saw the word wild also used to describe her as a child several times. There was like these stories about her having like run naked through town. So there's already this sort of uh, comparison maybe with like, the same themes we were exploring in monkey and bear right where there's like this wildness and this like nakedness and this I guess sexuality but like also just being sexualized by other people in your natural state that I think is super important in in Lola Montez's story and I think it's important to recognize too like as of this point, she's 10 years old. Like yeah. you mentioned the running naked through town. The other story I read was that like in church, she had filled like an old man's hat or his hair with <laughs> flowers, um, that she had a temper, that she was super determined. It's like, yeah, she lost her father. She's 10 yeah. years old. She's moved to many different countries. Her mom's only 19. Like yeah. that's a lot to have on your plate at such a young age. And it feels like such an unfair um, judgment on such yes. a young child to like explain away the rest of her life, um, much like it was for poor Lolita. Yeah, that's exactly, I think that's exactly it. And this same displacement of blame onto Lola, I feel like follows her throughout her whole life. And I think that's especially explored in this song is that everybody around her is like, oh, this like blameworthy wild child slash like wild woman slash like sexual fucking spider who's like drawing us all into her feminine wilds and whatever. And like, no, like take some ownership and also recognize that this person is doing what she needs to do to survive. Like, yeah. Um, so the next note that I have is, uh, the family moved to England when she was 10. She was known for her determination and her temper at age 16. Um, it seemed like there was an arranged marriage between, uh, Eliza planned. Eliza is Lola, um, with a much, much, much older man. And to avoid that, she eloped with a soldier. Um, The marriage only lasted about five years, but this is when uh, Lola became a professional dancer under the stage name Lola Montez, the Spanish dancer, Um, which is interesting because she's not Spanish. She had maybe been to Spain, um, but there was kind of a lot of um, questioning around like her truthfulness about her birthplace and her actual life experience in relation to that. Um, yeah. 
when she, she was first... born in Ireland, just to she... remind people, like she's not Spanish. Yeah. And it was even like debated in some of the things that I read, like where in Ireland she was born. Like she said one place, but it was actually another place. Hmm. Who knows how much that actually matters. Yeah. Um, so she at 16, uh, 16, I guess she's 21 now. Um, begins touring as a professional dancer under the stage name Lola Montez. Um, but because she's still in the same area uh, where she was married, um, she's very quickly identified as uh, being a wife and less as herself. Um, and this really hampered her career. So she began to tour. She left England. Um, Did she leave her husband at this point? Uh, yes, they separated five years later. So uh, it okay. seems like uh, the separation of the husband happened. Uh, and then she began touring as a dancer. Mm-hmm. Um, so now we're in 1844. She was working as a professional dancer, had many a romance with interesting and talented people. She was touring around Europe, uh, probably settled in Paris for a while. Um, and then maybe the most, uh, interesting or well-known part of her story, um, uh, in 1846, Lola was in Munich, Bavaria, when she was discovered by King Ludwig I. Um, and I'm sure you read the same, uh, like, how, how their meeting happened. She was, you know, she may or may not have been working as a courtesan at this time. She was certainly working as a dancer, and a dancer, an entertainer, a performer. Um, but apparently they were at some political event, some social event, and, uh, she caught his eye and he asked her outright whether or not her breasts were real. And her response to that was to cut open her bodice (laughs) and show him exactly, uh, what he was questioning, which is uh, hilarious and fantastic (laughs) and like very unladylike in 1846. Um, Yes. So it doesn't surprise me at all that she caught his eye. Um, it's my favorite she, part about her is that she is just so sub, sub, subversive. Like she just doesn't care about – it's like the Victorian era, you guys. Like yep. literally like Queen Victoria, Victorian era. And and she's like, I don't give a shit about these like customs that are supposed to apply to me. And yet she has to like rely on them and like sort of – uh, employ them at least sometimes in order to like like literally survive yeah yeah she has to use um you know the sexualization of herself to be able to make make a living um, yeah. and be able to survive in this like super uptight world um yeah. especially in uh working as a dancer um or an entertainer of some sort uh, so she won over the king very quickly. Um, from what I understand, they fell madly in love um, to such an extent that he made her a countess and gave her all of this political power, like uh, an annual salary, um, even like ended up closing a university at her insistence when the students of the university protested against <laughs> this appointment of her as a countess. Um, and what I think is really interesting about her um political morals is that she was like really uh anti-catholic in her policies um socialist she was super socialist uh 
she was kind of the opposite of what was expected in Bavaria at that time. It's fantastic. Um, Unfortunately. Um, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, sorry, Sam. I just wanted to quickly say, um, in case anybody is as ignorant as I am about like geography slash just like a world history in general. Like I admittedly just have like truly an embarrassing lack of knowledge about this. But if anybody else like me was wondering like, what's Bavaria though? Like it's not a country and like it's loosely somehow associated with like the country of Germany. Um, Germany was divided into these different states, I guess, right? But like self-reigning states is my understanding. Truly, I don't know very much about it. But I do know that Munich was uh, included in this in this state of Germany and uh, had its own king, I guess, right? So Bavaria was like this like southern sort of part of, of Germany. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's a landlocked state. Um and she all of a sudden had all of this power. Um, and unfortunately, it didn't go very well for either of them. Um, in 1848, the king was forced out. Um, he was forced to give his crown to his son. And Lola kind of had to flee Bavaria for her life because the Bavarian people were understandably not very happy um, with her policies. And I think the way that she... Uh, came into power as well. Um, so she left Bavaria for Switzerland, then France, then England, and eventually uh, to the United States in 1851. She toured around the United States. She toured Australia, uh, where in 1855, the spider dance, the erotic spider dance happened, which just like blew everyone's mind. She did this dance where she hid rubble <laughs> Uh, rubber spiders in her skirts and raised her skirts so high that you could see there were no underclothing at all. <gasps> A local newspaper in Melbourne thundered that her performance was utterly subversive to all ideas of public morality. Respectable people ceased to attend the theater. Um, one of my favorite stories of her, and I'm sure we'll say this over and over again, was um, in this small town after reading a bad review um, of her performance in the local newspaper. She, uh, this is debatable if it actually happened, but she may or may not have attacked the editor of the newspaper with a whip, which is just like fantastic. Go Lola. Yeah. Uh. And despite, so this is where my research kind of takes a turn and I honestly didn't find, yeah. like it seems like a, it seems in at least what I read, a steep decline from this Australian tour. Like the next point yeah. that I have is that um, in 1861 at age 39, she dies of, uh, I guess, complications from syphilis. Um, I have in that quietest interview, Joanna Newsom mentions that on her deathbed, she was being cared for and surrounded by Jesuit priests, which we know was very much not her thing. No. Um, especially to be cared for, you know, in your, in your last days in that way. Um, but I honestly don't have a lot of information about what the last few years of her life might have been like. And I wish that I did. Yeah. Um, 
I I think there's a little bit of like significance maybe to the idea that because we know like the most that we know about her is based in her time based on her time in Bavaria when she had this like not quite power but like adjacent to that right it's like power adjacent position and I guess maybe some like more power than like you know a lot of a lot of other people would have but I think there's something really significant to the idea that like as soon as she is stripped of that power like we learn we know less and less about her so like the amount of care and attention and and just just like general like like minimal interest that people have in her is directly associated with the amount of power she's able to to glean and mostly from the men in her life right not mostly literally entirely every every instance of this woman's life um she's like able to manipulate the situation and manipulate is even like a sexist kind of like loaded term so I hesitate to use it but like she's able to work the situation in a way such that like she's able to like put herself in a position of power because of the way she's able to convince men to to whatever abide by I don't even know what she wants what she thinks is best whatever um but like in this period of her life she just doesn't have a powerful man who she's associated with and because of that people don't care about her like she's just not noteworthy anymore which is so sad. She does do, after performing some like touring, she does some, um, not speeches, that's not the word I want to use, um, some lectures. She does write a few um, literary pieces, one of which was called The Arts of Beauty or Secrets of a Lady's Toilet. <laughs> um uh, You know, they're very of the time I did skim through uh that one piece and there's this one excellent line about men uh, where she says uh, those gloomy and ascetic beings who contemn the human body as only a cumbersome lump of clay as a piece of corruption and as the charnel house of the soul insult their maker by despising the most ingenious and beautiful piece of mechanism of his physical creation um, for someone who you know, kind of made her reputation as um, maybe taking uh, advantage of men. Like she very much knew what she needed to do to be taken yeah. seriously and uh, yeah. to survive, to make a living, um, to be able to really to be considered human at yeah. this point in time. Um, yeah, exactly. What is the thing in the quote you just read? What is the thing that she's saying that men are not like appreciating enough like the uh, the like god's creation or whatever what's the thing is it women yes okay yeah. okay yeah yeah that like they they really what i gleaned from it was that like they really have no idea what <laughs> um what they're handling what they're uh, like who contemn the human body as only a cumbersome lump of clay um which made me think immediately of all of the clay references that we talked about through East. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's a really, it, it's a very of the time read uh, the arts of beauty piece so much about like um, beauty procedures and how to entertain 
men, how men should entertain women. Um, like yeah. baldness treatments, exfoliants, face masks, like just weird yeah. shit that you're like, okay, all right. Yeah. Um, do you know, Sam, if this time, is she right now in Australia or California? Like, where does she die? She, uh, let's see. Later life. I believe she dies in the United States. Yeah, so she too. is buried. By 1860, Lola was showing tertiary effects of syphilis and her body began to waste away. She died at the age of 39. Um, on 17 January 1861, she was buried in Greenwood Cemetery in Brooklyn, New York. Oh, wow. Um, that'd be a cool road trip. That would be Ghost so fun. Oh, my God. I am so um, down. Um, one of the things that I had read, just real quick, is that Castlemaine, which is referred to in the song, is a, is a city in Australia. Mm-hmm. And she, like, did her, like, whatever, like, sex work um stripping slash like flashing dance for these dudes and at the end after she's done this dance she like pretty much lectured them being like guess what you're having witnessed this as a fucking privilege because like it's not up to me to be like oh thank you for watching like no you should be thanking me for performing for you which I just, I love her attitude throughout her whole life of being like, I mean, there, it's like this double-edged sword, which is like on the one hand, she is awesome and subservient, or not subservient, the opposite of that, sorry, subversive and like badass. On the, on the other hand, though, she's, you know, arrogant and not super grateful, but like, I don't know, there's something admirable, admirable about her attitude. She has like a very... Uh, at least I want to assume a very like clear head about all of this. Um, Like it seems like every move she makes is calculated and she understands kind of the undertaking um, and kind of like the give and take of being a woman in this time, um, which isn't a perspective that I think we get to hear about very often. Um, So the fact that Joanna, um, you know, wrote an entire song about uh, Lola Montez is fantastic. Um, it really, it really, really is. And there's something that I find really hard to put into words, but I'll try. Like, there's something about her that it it straddles this line between between understanding all of the gender dynamics in the society in which you live understanding the way it is that women are allowed to but like not barely allowed to that's like too generous of a word like are able to get power are able to be independent and like make a life for themselves rather than just being like whatever a homemaker which is fine if you choose that but obviously she didn't want to do that um so there's this, on the one hand, this like really intimate knowledge of the way that things work and the way that she can best use her gender like to work for her. But on the other hand, this like total rejection of these stereotypes, like it just, it it just seems as though she is so unaccepting of the idea that she's going to be like, docile and like, you know, that she's going to think that like the man knows best. She's like, fuck that. No, like I have my own opinions. I'm going to do 
like like and even just the idea that she was a sex worker like before she met the king of bavaria like that's unheard of right that she i mean i don't actually know history well enough to say it's unheard of but it seems really significant to me that the king of bavaria like was interested in a sex worker in a way that he made public right and of course was like reprimanded for this by his by his citizenry but still like as a sex worker, as a courtesan, like she was able to, I don't know, like do well for herself. So I, we have to say that he was married. He had many <laughs> an affair. Um, she was not the first like extramarital uh, person he was with, but I don't believe he made any of the other women a countess. Right. Um, so I just want to assume that there was something special about her. Like, I love her. I'm rooting for her. Um, I love her too. I, I want just to name want my the kid Lola. <laughs> okay. Two more things I have to say <laughs> that you may or may not know, but that I learned from this Scandalous History podcast that okay. I didn't read other places. Um, and I believe that Kirsten, uh, one of the hosts of the show, did read one of the biographies as well. So, number one, she had a pet bear. <gasps> she did? <laughs> she did. Its name was Major. Um, sadly, she used to chain it up outside of her house um, in that same county uh, yeah. where Joanna grew up. But, but real Sam, cool connection. I know. <laughs> even Major, like Ursa Major. Oh, my God. Okay. Two. Apparently, the King of Bavaria had a nickname for her. Shut up. What is it? Oh, my God. Lolita. Shut the fuck up. Oh, my God. I love this. I love this information. I didn't know either of those two facts. Yeah. So that was a real fun listen. So thank you, Scandalous History Podcast. <laughs> um, that was really, really cool to know. Um, Super my library cool. reserves again did not come through in time for this episode, <laughs> nor did my schedule allow for it. But um, still, yeah, <clears throat> real cool. As we're plugging podcasts here, can I just quickly? Yeah. I was listening to this podcast. So okay, two two podcast plugs actually. Which whatever. Um, there's this one podcast called You're Wrong About, which is like a very popular podcast on like the whatever I tunes or whatever apple podcast like list but they're so good the woman on it in particular i think is just brilliant and on one of their episodes they did an episode on uh so basically the the um idea of the podcast is just to sort of reframe events that we've all either lived through or know about um in a way that like is actually charitable to the people involved right so like to be fair and compassionate towards people like Tanya Harding or like Monica Lewinsky, who history has just treated so, so poorly. Um, in the 90s, both of those women were just fucking thrown under the bus and everyone was cool with it. And they yeah. just do a really good job at reframing that narrative. And um, they had a guest on their podcast. Um, they did an episode about Marie Antoinette Okay. And this guest that they had on their podcast to talk about her has her own podcast called Noble Blood. And I just wanted to recommend that podcast to people. Okay. It is so informative. She is such a cool person that the the host of the podcast. And 
Lola Montez's story in a lot of ways reminds me of Marie Antoinette's. So Marie Antoinette's like initial name was something more English sounding or like German sounding. Um, so she changed her name when she was like 13 and was like married off to the King of France or the Prince of France, I guess at that time. So she had to like change her name and her whole identity. Like they made her get rid of her little doggy because they didn't want anything from, I think it was like Austria or something that she was from. So she had to like leave a whole part of her behind in order to like go live this life like she didn't really have that much of a choice in it and then she's just so thrown under the bus by all of history you know like there are all sorts of things that are blamed on her and like really it's just not her role it's just not her job to be in charge of the things that people blame her for and I think that there's just a really cool parallel there it's like almost a hundred years apart timeline what timeline wise but uh check out Noble Blood if you haven't cool i mean i just subscribed as you were yay 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 she's really cool i really love the narrator or the the host of the podcast awesome i see there's an episode um in you're wrong about about anastasia too yes um, which sounds really cool i mean oh man breastfeedings uh anything connected to breastfeeding is cool so (sighs) if you listen to it please tell me immediately because i like have been obsessed with this podcast. We were just talking before the um p- before we started recording about sort of like lighter listens that we can listen to for podcasting. And while I wouldn't say this is like a super light listen because they tackle serious topics, they're fucking brilliant. They're really really smart people both of them. Um it's still like is weirdly amenable to like easy listening because they're casual about their conversations and even though they're saying really really insightful things in an intelligent way you don't feel like you're doing homework when you're listening to them uh I don't know it's nice anyway I don't understand how we're 45 minutes in this podcast and haven't started with any of the lyrics Sorry? but that's a very brief <laughs> very biography brief. of uh Lola Montez who uh is um the main subject matter of have one on me the song yes And without, or like, I guess with my apologies for making this thing longer, um, this preamble longer, even though, you know what, I actually am not sorry because whatever, her history is so interesting and important. And And Sam, thank you so much for giving. I left a lot out. I was trying to be brief. So I'm sure we'll touch on some of the more interesting parts. uh, Actually, like now, now I completely regret having said anything about it being long because you're right. It's a brief history and you did a, you did a really good job at just giving us the most important pieces while still like leaving room for us to discuss other stuff about her life as it comes up throughout the song. Um, okay. And I'm just real quick looking for this quote from Joanna. So this is in a 2010 interview with the New York Times. She writes about this song in particular and about Lola Montez in particular. I'm obviously identifying her story with my story to some extent. To be a woman and to be a performer at that time meant something very different than it does now, but I'm also interested in what the similarities are. I was interested in the fact that she was constantly traveling and constantly having to start over and make a new life for herself. And her connection to this town is very important to me. So as Sam had mentioned, like they share a, is it Nevada City or is it somewhere else? Uh, Nevada County. Nevada County. Okay. Yeah. 
Um, so there's, there is this connection between, I mean, the performance, which I think is a huge part of, uh, the album have one on me and obviously a huge part of the song, but also a theme she's explored before. I mean, at the very least she's explored it in both Sawdust and Diamonds and Monkey and Bear with Sawdust and Diamonds, like the audience is watching as they couple an endless increase. Obviously Monkey and Bear, the bear is performing and you know what? Yeah. I have more to say about the monkey and bear connection, but at a specific part. So we'll get there. Okay. Even, even Colleen in that same sense, yeah. right? Like she's performing a role that she doesn't necessarily understand. Um, yeah. But in that sense, there's still like, uh, you know, lines to be said and yeah. uh, certain like guidelines to be followed within that as well. Absolutely. And yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, along these same lines, too, I believe it was Melissa Marturano. I mean, it's either her or Rachel Parent, but I'm pretty sure it's Melissa. I always have a little bit of a hard time finding out who exactly wrote what on Blessing All the Birds, but that is not a criticism in the least because I revere this uh, blog. But I think it was Melissa who wrote this series on uh, dependency, autonomy, and femininity and have one on me. So the article right now that I'm referring to is called When I Broke My Bone, He Carried Me Out from the Riverside, Dependency, Autonomy, and Femininity and Have One on Me, Part One. Please check that article out on Blessing All the Birds. But she talks a lot about... Um, yeah, the performative aspects of femininity that th that occur throughout the album, but she at least mentions the way that this sort of manifests itself in the title track of Have One On Me. And I just think it's really insightful, some of the stuff she says. So be sure to check out the Blessing All the Birds article. As always, their analysis is just fucking spot on. Yeah, my very favorite. Me too. Okay. All right. We can do this. Let's start <laughs> with the first verse. <laughs> so, have one on me. First verse begins. From the courtyard, I floated in and watched it go down. Heard the cup drop. Thought, well, that's why they keep them around. The blackguard sat, sat hard, down, with no head on him now. And I felt so bad, because I didn't know how to feel bad enough to make him proud. The very first thing that I did in researching these lyrics is I was like, hmm, I wonder if the reason she chose to use the word courtyard here, I wonder if that's significant. So I just looked up like history of courtyards, I think. Sure. And the very first link that came up was, I thought just going to be like this like short little paragraph or something on Wikipedia about courtyards, but no, no, it was an entire masterclass on the history of courtyards. So oh, cool. you can go right now and check out this like masterclass on the history of courtyards. Uh, I did not have time to do that. Uh, it looked really interesting though, but I will at least say that the general impression that I got from her use of this particular image here is just one of extravagance, 
of opulence, of like, there's sort of this vibe to me in this verse, Sam, and you could tell me if you disagree, of like things being a little bit inconsequential, of her sort of being above it all or something in this like kind of like Marie Antoinette-ish vibe. Um, and I actually, just real quick, that's like one of the things I really appreciate about this song is that it's, I don't think it's a very one-sided portrayal where it glorifies Lila Montez and doesn't say anything bad about her and only portrays her in the most uh, sympathetic of lights. I think that Joanna does a really good job of of like showing how the ways in which she can be arrogant and selfish and out of touch with people who, you know, don't have the privileges that she has. And I think that sort of is evident from this first verse. My first note is just um, how the entire song starts with a preposition and made me think about how only skin started and there was a booming. Yeah. We start with uh, not necessarily a place, but a direction. So from the courtyard, I floated in, which just made me think of all of the dream sequences that we talked about so much in East. And um, and then watched what go down. <laughs> right. Watched it go down. Like, I think immediately our narrator is watching something happen. Yeah. Um, I think that maybe... That we don't know what it is. That yeah. the blackguard sits down hard with no head on him now rather than like the fucking blackguard got beheaded or like people mm -hmm. beheaded him. It's like yeah. rather this very passive, very, to me at least, like sort of self-involved perspective that she has here, right? So um, she is detached enough from the situation that she's not describing the black heart, the black guard uh, getting beheaded as something that's like traumatizing for her at all. She's like, eh, a cup broke, but like, whatever, we have more of those. Uh, I have a courtyard because I'm rich. And by the way, I didn't know this. A courtyard is just a uh, open air space that is enclosed by buildings. Um, right. I don't know what I thought it was before, but. That is what it is. Um, yeah, I was going to mention too, Sam, I don't know how... So we talked a little bit about the episode... Uh, sorry, we talked a little bit in the episode on Easy about how, like, although in this album, there is this, like, progression of things through the relationship, right? And the song Easy ties into the very last song on the album, Does Not Suffice. So there is some kind of narrative that's happening. But... One thing that Have One On Me does right from the beginning of the album, I think, is to throw a wrench in the idea that this is going to be this very, like, chronological, like, this is what happened to me in my relationship and, like, it's all fucking just very straightforward and, like, in your face. Like, no, she's not. She's not doing that. There is a theme that I think is very much running throughout this album and progresses throughout the album, but it's not a straightforward one. It's not obvious. You can easily miss it. And... And it's not super chronological. It's not this very like, here are the happy songs and now here's the, the conflict and now we have broken up and it's very sad. Like, it's not like that. 
Yeah, and even in terms of Lola's life, I wanted to go through the lyrics and be able to be like, okay, this happened, then this happened, then this happened, then she was Countess, and then this happened, and this happened, this happened, then she died. And I I don't think it's as clear um, of a story as I wanted it to be. That would be too easy. Right. Um, and easy she is not, so. Easy she's not. <laughs> she sure isn't. Oh, my God. Um, I make dad jokes now. That's just who I am as a person, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. That's where we're at. Um, one thing I thought maybe was a cool connection, even though it's not maybe that straightforward of, of a connection between easy and this first line of have one on me. Is if you guys remember at the end of Easy, she was comparing herself to Bloody Mary. Um, at the beginning of this podcast session, I had Bloody Mary as my uh, Skype background, and Sam made me change it. She was like, "No, like, you're not doing, you're not doing this the whole time with this fucking woman popping through a mirror. It's enough." Yeah. yeah. So, um, <laughs> she had said, "There's like a line in Easy where she says." I am barely here, right? And Bloody yeah. Mary is like this dead figure, this ghost type thing that appears in the mirror. And I thought it was maybe interesting that she starts this song with the idea that she floats in. Because on the one hand, like, I don't know, if you describe someone as floating in, I sort of picture them in this like lavish, extravagant dress and she floats in sort of like above it all in a way. But there's also this like, uh out of bodiness slash like detachedness slash like there's a ghost of who I actually am who's participating in all of this in a way that I thought could be maybe perhaps reminiscent of Bloody Mary from the end of the last song and I really like that especially because the last line of easy is but like a Bloody Mary seen in the mirror speak my name and I appear and if we're talking about this being a show being a show being a song about someone who does shows, a performer um, whose name is probably spoken, yeah. whose name is called, whose name is cheered or jeered or whatever. Yeah. Um, the idea that they would be called forward in that way uh, yeah. from the courtyard is really cool. Super uh, cool. And actually, it, yeah, that speaks further to your point about like, look, we don't really know much about her in her yeah. like – not notorious phases of her life right when people stop caring about her and like the less people are uttering her name the less she appears to us like we don't yeah. have access to her uh if people aren't talking about her right so she like literally ceases to exist in this way when people aren't deciding to center her uh as like the focus even if it's in a bad light like that's the thing even if it's like oh lola is a horror or whatever they're saying about her uh she's still present in this way she gets our attention mm -hmm. um yeah uh i have black guard um a man who behaves in a dishonorable or uh, contemptible way um, as a noun but also as a verb to abuse or disparage someone um, yep I also and found then, this like you said the headlessness immediately too right <laughs> yeah yeah that's uh, creepy as fuck and like you could miss it if you're not paying close attention to what she's saying she doesn't say yeah, this dude got beheaded in front of me. She just says, eh, there's no head on this guy now, which is the craziest way of describing 
someone's beheading. There's this dude that's there who has no head now. I kind of combed through like what I knew about Lola and was like, ooh, what could this be? And there was only one instance that I thought kind of made sense, um, which was when, ooh, she was in Europe. Where in Europe? I don't (laughs) exactly remember. Um, But she was with, at the time, um, she was with, at the time, this guy, and there was a dispute, she was with this, I want to say he was a journalist, Um, I want to say he was the guy who ran the newspaper in whatever small town she was touring in. Oh, he was the, um, like the drama writer, like the theater critic. Um, and they, they had a a dispute over whether or not Lola should attend this party. Um, her partner showed up at this event and he was really drunk and belligerent. And over the course of an evening, because this is still 1845, he somehow offended his rival (laughs) journalist who challenged him to a duel. Um, (laughs) So her partner accepted and was, uh, over the course of the duel, shot in the face and killed. Jesus. Um, so <laughs> intense. Um, I feel like 75% of male deaths back then were because of fucking duels and challenges to duels. It doesn't surprise me, but also really surprises me. Shouldn't get drunk and be able to have weapons. It's just or weapons, weapons and at testosterone all. and drunkenness. Yeah. It's just no. Yeah, so may or, that may or may not be connected. That was just me trying to like uh, draw some lines to like what she might have seen. But yeah. it also, uh, as you were talking about, it made me think about like maybe it's like a reference to her father who was lost um, when she was so little. We don't really know. And the part that makes me think about her father is uh, the last couple lines there. I felt so bad because I didn't know how to feel bad enough to make <sighs> him proud. Oh. And I wondered if that was like, um, because as a young girl, you know, she had all this pressure on her to not be so wild um, and yeah. to not be so precocious as she was described in some of the things I read um, and just made me think of, you know, how you kind of make yourself smaller um, yeah. in the shadow of a man that like, like to feel bad enough to make Ugh. him proud is really, really brutal. And she's saying, I can't do it. Like I cannot yeah. conform. I cannot be the way that you want me to be. And like that I'm supposed yeah. to be, I find this. F- okay. Oh my God. I have like seven thoughts right now and I don't know how to order them in my speech. Okay, so first, yes, exactly what you're saying, Sam. I am so interested in the connection that she draws, like the admittedly quite disturbing connection throughout this song, but I think really interesting one that she draws between daddy and pa and papa and her lover. Yeah. I don't know who the him in this verse is referring to. I think it's Louis her lover the king yeah they had described him as like her greatest love and like the truthfulness of that i don't know but yeah i i wouldn't disagree with that either 
it's just, it's a weird way of phrasing it because if you're reading this as a poem or a story or whatever, she hasn't mentioned a goddamn thing about the fact that she's talking about any love interest at all. She's talking about the blackguard. And so the him with the, the blackguard set hard down with no head on him now, the him refers to the blackguard. And she goes immediately on to say, and I felt so bad because I didn't know how to feel bad enough to make him proud. So like, the, I feel like the natural way of reading that is that the him would be associated with the same person who the him referred to in the previous line, which was the blackguard. But mm. I don't think she's talking about the blackguard and that she didn't know how to feel bad enough to make the blackguard proud. I think she is talking about her lover, but I thought that that was interesting that the very first reference to him in this whole song is she feels guilty because she's like, I don't, I, I feel guilty for not feeling guilty, right? I'm shameless in this way that is not acceptable. So like, sorry, mm -hmm. I guess about that. But like, I can't do it. I cannot. Sorry, I guess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. A couple other things I wanted to say. So um, when you were talking about the definitions of blackguard, the one, mm. other thing, the one other thing I wanted to add to that was that I found that blackguard was also, so a, this isn't the right word. I can't think of the right one though, but like the discontinued use of this word, one of them at least is the servants in the kitchen of like a rich person's place. So one understanding, at least, of this first verse is that the situation that she's describing is one in which one that happens, at least in, in, in this particular theory, like right before the revolution, that is the thing that causes Lola to have to flee from Bavaria, to have to leave Louis and, and escape, right? Because people are, people hate Lola Montez. The, the Bavarian people and they have this impression that she's exerting this like awful influence on him which like you know history is biased in that like from all like everything that I've read like she was she was insert, uh, exerting this influence on him but like it's really hard to know what to trust right so if this is maybe describing that kind of situation and the blackguard is someone who works in the kitchen of the king then we could understand the situation as like the, perhaps maybe just very not confidently saying this, um, as one in which the blackguard has tried to poison the king, right? So there is this, uh, I don't know if it's a rumor or actually based in reality, but whatever, this thought that they, that kings and royalty would have servants and like subservience test all of their food and beverages before they consume them to make sure it wasn't poisoned. Sure. And so if we're going by that theory, then the idea here is that like the king, instead of being poisoned by the blackguard, uh, you know, got someone else to like taste his drink. Saw the cup drop. Saw the cup drop. Yeah, exactly. The yeah. cup dropped because of that. The guy was poisoned the blackguard got beheaded because he had tried to kill the king. And this is That's the impetus. That's why they keep them around. Yeah. Yeah. In the right. Most passive way. Yeah. Yeah. And, Ooh. and, and like without even mentioning, right, the servant who would have died from having yeah. tried this poison first, uh, she's more concerned about the cup because whatever. Yeah. That's what privilege does. 
And then, um, and then, yeah, this is the impetus for her having to flee Bavaria, right? And so, to me, that's that's the way that I make sense of the transition from this first paragraph to the next verse where she's saying, she's writing a letter basically to, to Louis, I think. Yes. Yeah. Um, and there's just this quote uh, from the King who wrote that Lola gave new life to my being. I will not give Lola up. He declared, Aww. I will never give up that noble princely being my kingdom for Lola. Oh. Um, God. And I also read somewhere else that not just on like a sexual level, but a, they had like a mutual deep respect and admiration for one another. And that has to have a lot to do with her courage and her ability to really be her full self. Yeah. In that sense, um, he takes her as she is. A journalist wrote this, uh, some random Vanity Fair article, and finding in her an agreeable and intellectual companion and an honest, plain spoken counselor, he fuses the reality uh, with the ideal in one deep sentiment of affectionate respect. Yeah. They were good friends. Yeah. Too, which is cool. Which is really cool. And it's, oh my God, it's so depressing in a way, too, because like, there is this, I don't know, this thing's kind of hard to talk about, which is like that patriarchal systems and systems that are so oppressive and harmful to women just are also in one respect, at least in some respects, at least not good for men either. Right. Like to not be able to have a companion who you respect and like for that to be a thing that's like noteworthy is such a shitty fucking existence. And so when one shows up, who's like, I don't, I'm going to, I don't give a shit about what's expected of me. Like people can think what they want. This is who I am. Like, of course there's some appeal to that because you're just living in a such like a, such a, what's it called? Like a repressed society that it would be refreshing. And when were you, you also wouldn't hear anything new. Like the people around you are either hired to be there or forced to be there. Um, And so I'm sure to have like a fresh face. Yeah. Uh, new opinion from somewhere other than your birthplace would be really refreshing. Yeah. Someone who's just like not a sycophant to like whatever it is that you happen to think that day. Like that would really, really be refreshing. Yeah. Um, Okay. One other thing I wanted to say just as we're starting this song is that, and like I, I am, not just like asking for or open to, but like I am begging you guys to comment on this. And like Sam, that includes you. We like, I, we've said this before, but Sam and I don't talk about the content of the songs before we actually start recording so that we can have these conversations um, like with you guys at, to some extent. Um, but I think one of the most fucking baffling but also really interesting to me parts of this song is the question of who the fuck is narrating each Mm -hmm. verse so I I am of the strong opinion that it is switching throughout the song uh I I can name at least three people or three different perspectives I think which is Lola's perspective 
Louis's perspective and some like unnamed sort of anonymous audiences perspective. Uh, but I am so curious what you guys think about what each verse is. I've spent like a weird amount of time trying to figure this out, like obsessive hours and hours and hours and hours trying to figure this out. I can't do it really. Um, but I think that it's really informative of what's going on in the song and also perplexing in a way that I just love. <laughs> and I think it has a lot to do too with kind of the um, organization of the lyrics on the lyric booklet, mm -hmm. um, which I didn't see organized in the same way on the usual websites like joanna newsome lyrics is not italicized in the same way um that the vinyl booklet i have is so i'll let you guys know what is and what isn't when we get to it so so far nothing's been italicized right yeah okay yep. also um i think this maybe just helps me when i'm editing but um, Sam has just sent me a picture and so I will try to remember to post the picture of the lyrics as they appear on the vinyl um, booklet. I will try to remember to post that to Facebook um, when this episode comes out in fucking 10 months from now. I don't know. We're, we're talking about only skin for a long years. ass time. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know when it's going to come and by out. By then I'll take a better picture. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I am good for the first verse. Do you have other stuff to say for the first one, Sam? I don't believe so, no. Oh, I lied. I'm not good for the first verse. One quick last thing I wanted to say was just that I am really also intrigued by the fact that this is the title track to the album. So I really love this idea that she is from the second song on this 18-song long album. From the second song, she's being like, here is the thesis like as it were of this album and there's something that just like really speaks to me about the anger and the dejectedness and the fed upness and the like recognition of the way you're being used by men and the way that men have the actual power that occurs in this song there's something so significant to me about that recognition coming in song two of 18 of this triple album and yet having 16 songs left before us to get to the point where she's like okay peace like I gotta get out of here right and I think that is just so reflective of what life is actually like like mm -hmm. you it is just not the case for people that we recognize on Tuesday that this is a toxic unhealthy like you know whatever on Tuesday gender dynamics relationship and then on Friday we're gone that just doesn't happen it's like years and years later and so you could be having these thoughts the whole time so if <laughs> have one on me is Tuesday <laughs> what's Friday well it can't be does not suffice no so in my assessment does not suffice is like two and a half years later after this Tuesday <laughs> that we're experiencing right now. Friday would be like maybe good intentions. We're going to skip over 81. 
And Baby Birch is what, Monday again? <laughs> no, man. Baby Birch is a year later. Baby Birch is some disenchanted. Like, oh my God, this was not good intentions, upbeat through the face of tragedy. No. Baby Birch is some sad ass shit. Yeah. Oh my God. That's funny. Are you good, Sam, at recognizing, like, so uh, my partner David is making us beats to use on this podcast but his goal right now is to make a beat per vinyl for have one on me so we're gonna get one for disc one one for disc two one for disc three and he's asking me like off the top of my head he's like so um he's like what what number vinyl is good intentions on and I was like uh oh my god I think two but maybe one because I don't really know I'm so bad at it I don't know I'm gonna say this when I first started listening to Joanna Newsom and I would have whatever like downloaded version of it or just have it like uh, even like where would I have even gotten it from ripped from the CD onto my iPod. <laughs> like, what was that place on Osborne? What was that place on Osborne we used to go to like um, into the music? Into the Music Men, yes. Like, uh, if it weren't for YouTube, like, I'm pretty sure most of the stuff I got from Joanna was off YouTube. Or, like, LimeWire. Do you remember yeah, LimeWire? Oh, sure do. My or, like, R. uTorrent. I. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure that's where I would have gotten my first Have One On Me. And then, like, once I could afford it in, like, fucking seven weeks because I got paid $7 an hour. Yeah. Would be... Uh, at Into the Music. But whenever you had these downloads, they would never be in order. And no. I didn't listen to them in order. I just listened to yeah. them in whatever order they were in. And it was our uh, friend Alicia who would uh, berate me for not listening to them yeah. in order, like the album, um, very lovingly. But like, you know, you should be so. listening to it in the order that it was yeah. written and that she put it in very much so. Um, I, I straight up just like leached off of Alicia's analness in that respect yeah. because at this time, so I lived with her from 2000 and uh, I want to say like eight to 2010 or like 11 or something like that, mm -hmm. maybe 2009 to 2010 or 11. But um, so vividly, I remember like just being like you, Sam, which like, is not a person who would care about, like my, my biggest priority is just like getting the songs. Yeah. But both her and Ryan, her partner, and our very, very good friend mm -hmm. had this cool, like, cube of a vinyl player. Do you remember that, Sam? This, like, yeah. thing in our living room. And she would somehow get this shit. And I'd be like, I don't know. I have approximately one minute and 30 seconds patience for technology. And if I can't get it by then, then, like, I'm done. Yeah. But she would, like, be diligent about playing it in order. So, like, cool. That's where I got it from. But, like, I would be totally like you if I weren't forced to not be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm um, so appreciative now. I am glad that we listened to it in order. I don't know. I could probably name, like, a song that I would want Dave to uh, make a beat from. But off the top of my head, uh, less so. Yeah. It's really hard. He was like, uh, like he was asking me what the most beatable <laughs> yeah. uh, songs were. And like off the top of my head, I was like, okay, first things that come to mind are 
the outro of Have One On Me where she just says like, ooh, ooh, a bunch. Sure. And then Soft as Chuck because uh, she goes crazy on the piano there. And then Good Intentions for the exact yeah. same reason. Yeah. And, and he's like, okay, is that one from each? And I was like, I so embarrassingly don't know. <laughs> I don't know, man. This woman is crazy. How? Imagine having just these like lyrics or like thoughts, these embryonic I ideas. You meant Lola, but you mean Joanna. <laughs> I mean Joanna. I mean, oh God, also Lola. I feel so bad for Lola's Lola. Lola's incredible too. But yeah. Joanna, all these lyrics and thoughts and embryonic ideas just like floating throughout her head at all times. Like, how are you just not constantly bawling? I don't get it. Truly, I don't get it. We have an email address. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it is. It is a hopeless endeavor. Mm-hmm. I do this every no, time. She's right. She's right. Yep. Okay. It is a hopeless endeavor. E-N-D-E-A-V-O-R at gmail.com. We have an Instagram. It is a hopeless endeavor podcast. Nikki runs our Facebook group, it, which is it is a hopeless endeavor. The Jenny's podcast. Thank you for listening. Truly, from the bottom of our hearts, we appreciate it. Bye, you guys. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs> Oh, 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 oh,